Thank you, Donnie. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6, we'll be looking at one of the monumental passages in Scripture today. I feel unfit to to preach it, just because of, uh, one, because of our our time limits, two, because of my own sin and weakness, and three, just because of the the depth that is in the, the passage. Uh, just a personal confession, sometimes it's really hard uh, to get up knowing that you're, you're just as big a sinner, maybe a bigger sinner than anybody, and to preach to others God's Word. And someone asked, well, why do you do it? Well, it's because I'm not preaching me. I'm preaching a Savior who can save all of us from our sin. Amen? That's what we preach. And this passage particularly just makes me feel uh, the weight of, of my sin and also the, the, the glory of God. Isaiah chapter 6, we'll read the, the first seven verses. In the book of Isaiah, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the doors trembled, shook at the voice of Him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. <coughs> then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks today for your word. Please uh, empower my mind and heart and voice as I speak. And more than that, God, would your Holy Spirit empower our gathering this morning. God, would you change us? Would you give us a vision of who you really are and who we really are? And would you change us today, God? We long for it. We long to be closer to you, to be nearer to you, to understand who we ought to be. Give us the strength and the wisdom to do it today. In Jesus' name, Amen. So this passage is, in a word, amazing. This is Isaiah's great vision of the Lord. Immediately after this, we see Isaiah's call into the ministry. And so you could say, well, why isn't Isaiah's call into the ministry in the beginning of his ministry? Why isn't that at the beginning of the book of Isaiah? And it, why is it down here in chapter 6. Well, it's because chapters 1 through 5 are giving you the context of the time in which Isaiah begins his ministry. It gives you the context of the nation of Israel at this time. And we're informed by the fact that it was in the year that King Uzziah died. 
740 B.C. Uzziah reigned 52 years. He was 25 years co-ruler with his father, 10 years co-ruler with his son. Now who was Uzziah or Azariah as he's also called? Uzziah was the 10th king of Judah. Now remember at this time, God's people, Israel, the 12 tribes that had grown into millions of people, they had now, after the time of David and Solomon, they had split into two kingdoms. A northern kingdom called Israel, a southern kingdom called Judah, because the largest tribe, Judah, made up most of this southern kingdom. And David was of Judah, Solomon was of Judah. And you had these two kingdoms, ten tribes in the north, uh, two in the south, This southern kingdom would endure. That's the kingdom Uzziah is from. At least his people would endure. The northern kingdom would not. The northern kingdom would last around 200 years. They had no good kings and they were marked by violent dynasties and history that would eventually lead to their disaster. They would be taken captive or destroyed. And their kingdom would not last. And they perverted the worship of God. The southern kingdom didn't fare much better. But in their line of 20 kings, who were all of King David, there's only one dynasty, they were all from the line of David. Some of them ruled wickedly, very wickedly. Some of them were righteous. Uzziah is typically characterized as one of these good kings. So let's learn a little bit about him from 2 Chronicles 26. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. How would you like to become king at 16? I always find that interesting when some of these people become rulers at 8 years old, 12, 16. What were they thinking? His mother's name was Jechaliah from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God throughout the lifetime of Zechariah the teacher of the fear of God. That was probably the the priest of the time. And during that time that he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Sounds good. Uzziah went out to wage war against the Philistines. He tore down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabna, the wall of Ashdod. Then he built cities in the vicinity of Ashdod and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, the Arabs that lived in Gerbal, and the Maonites. The Ammonites gave Uzziah tribute money, And his fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for God made him very powerful. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, the valley gate, and the corner buttress, and he fortified them. Since he had many cattle, both in the Judean foothills and the plain, he built towers in the desert and dug many wells. And since he was a lover of the soil, he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands. Uzziah had an army equipped for combat that went out to war by division according to their assignments, as recorded by Jael, the court secretary, and Masiah, the officer under the authority of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The total number of heads of families was 2,600 brave warriors. Under their authority was an army of 307,500 equipped for combat, a powerful force to help the king against the enemy. Uzziah provided the entire army with shields, spears, helmets, armor, bows, and sling stones. He made skillfully designed devices in Jerusalem to shoot arrows and catapult large stones 
for use on the towers and on the corners. So his fame spread even to distant places, for he was marvelously helped until he became strong. Uzziah was a great king. And all the standards that we would judge a king by, he grew the nation of Israel in strength, or the nation of Judah in strength, assets, beauty, accomplishments. He wasn't perfect, but as long as he sought the Lord, God blessed him. But then he did a terrible thing. And it began a downward spiral in the nation. God afflicted him with a disease, and he was forced to live out his days in isolation and had to partner in ruling the kingdom with his son, Jotham. Now, Jotham was also a good king, but it, added, it adds this note in 2 Chronicles 27. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, daughter of Zadok. He did what was right in the, the Lord's sight, as his father Uzziah had done. He did not commit the sin of Uzziah, but it says the people still behaved corruptly. And this is the context. For whatever reasons, the people of Judah broke loose in their morality, in their living, wide open in sinful living and corruption. It's in this context that God calls Isaiah to speak to a people who had become, listen closely, materialistically greedy, consumed with partying and pursuing their own rebellious forms of entertainment, obsessed with alcohol, see verse 22 of chapter 5, letting the guilty go free, depriving the innocent of justice, wise in their own eyes, clever in their own sight, who called good things evil and evil things good, and who shook, basically, shook their fists at God. Does that sound any familiar? When half of our country supports murder, many even calling it a good, I would say that's calling good evil, an evil good. So we have some similarities to this time, and so this passage should speak to us as well. It's not just a story that we're going back in to look at, it's also a story that speaks to us today. Isaiah pronounces six woes upon the people of Judah and the capital city of Jerusalem in chapter 5. Now a woe was, was a curse. Uh, it, was a, it was in a sense, it was like a negative promise. Um, it was a harmful judgment. Instead of going up to somebody and saying, be blessed, or God bless you, it would be doing the opposite. Isaiah pronounces woes, except, except these, 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 are, these are curses, these are almost promises of judgment that he pronounces upon the people. Woe to you who call good evil and evil good. The chosen people of God have run wild. Many of them have run away like straying sheep. And yet, Isaiah gives, or God gives Isaiah a vision of a king as if to say in part to him, Isaiah, even though the nation is running wild, the people are running wild, there's sin everywhere, even though it's all a mess, the king is still on his throne. I am still in control. I think you and I need those messages a lot. 
And so let's look at this vision that God gives Isaiah. There are three primary parts to what we're going to look at. The first is the holiness of the king. The holiness of the king. Today we're going to celebrate our babies, our children, and the, the, the physical lives that God has given to us and to our families. I think we've had, somebody correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we've had like three babies born to church members within the last week or so, something like that. Uh, one of them uh, born last night or early this morning, uh, depending on the time. Uh, God has been good to our church. And one of the things we need to keep at the forefront, we need to, to, to make sure that we have in mind, is that there is nothing more important for us as parents to teach or instill in our children than a vision of the holiness of God. If they learn nothing else from us, or if we strive to do nothing else, let it be a vision of the holiness of God. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. But I, let me back up and say, to give that vision though, we have to have it ourselves. Isaiah says, and Isaiah got it as we'll see. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of His robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above Him, each having six wings. With two He covered His face. With two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now when we define glory, it's one of those kind of fuzzy words. Glory is simply the revealing of God's greatness. It is the displaying of God's greatness. It is the testifying of God's greatness. And that greatness, as we see here, is His holiness. So the angel says, whether you and I see it or not, the angel says that the whole earth reveals and testifies and displays God's greatness. And what makes God great is that He is holy. The angel says, holy, 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 three times to signal perfection. Three times also reminds us of the Trinity. The Father is holy. The Son is holy. The Spirit is holy. No other attribute of God or characteristic of God is spoken of this way in the Scripture. It never says God is love, love, love. It never says God is wrath, wrath, wrath. His holiness is His, most, is his primary characteristic. And it actually defines all the rest. So that we can say God's love is a holy love. God's justice is a holy justice. His wisdom is a holy wisdom. His power is a holy power. Now, you and I are made in God's image. And one of the glorious things about that is being made in God's image means that God put some of His characteristics in us or is creating those things in us. Each of us can love God loves god is love we can love god can forgive we can forgive things like that when god tells us to be holy what it means for us is he expects us to be separated from the world so that we can be morally pure 
so that we can be useful to Him. So different, pure, set apart. But those things, that definition may not always work for God. We can't just say that God is separate because we separate the trash, right? We separate the trash, and the trash doesn't have value for us, quite the opposite. And so we've got to add some things when we're trying to explain this about about God, and it's a very hard thing to define. There, there are many ways in which we cannot be like God in the kind of attribute that He has or the degree of it, the degree of perfection. And so defining God's holiness is, is very difficult, but let me attempt in order to get us just a little bit closer. God's holiness is His unique perfection in His moral purity, His attributes, and His value. It is His unique perfection in His moral purity, His attributes, and His value, His great worth. There is no one like God in purity and in the characteristics and the attributes of who He is as a person. And there is no one like God who is any more valuable than God or worthy than God. And all of that together is an attempt to define God's holiness. He is a consuming fire of perfection and power and worth. And so to define God's holiness is basically to try to define God. We see the seraphim. Seraphim are angels. It means that they're burning ones. That word means burning. There were at least two of them in this vision. Now they weren't cute, chubby, Naked babies with bows and arrows. They were terrifying, powerful creatures. Sinless, wise, able, powerful. The doorposts of the temple shook when one of them called out. What power! And yet these beings had to cover their faces, had to cover their feet. They either could not look upon the king or they dared not look upon the king. Perhaps they would be consumed by His holiness. Or perhaps they they instinctively knew that their lack of worth, knew their lack of worth before Him. Isaiah had seen kings before, most likely, but not like this one. Not one who was proclaimed holy, holy, holy. And at the time, and in the history of Israel, where kings were so accustomed to failing and were so weak and were so petty and were so flawed, this one wasn't. No one compared to this king. This king could not fail. No power could rise above his holy authority. Brothers and sisters, our vision of God, and I'm speaking to myself, is too weak. It's too weak. The God that we live out in our daily lives, we've got to strive for a more accurate picture, a more accurate vision of who this wonderful, holy God really is because we're missing so much. And I understand that we won't, we'll never get a full picture of that until heaven. And even then we'll spend eternity 
exploring His holiness. But it shouldn't prevent us from trying right now. We should be compelled to know more about this holy God and to let Him change our lives. The more I, uh, the more I prepared this message and read this, the more I realized that how weak and anemic my own view of God's holiness is. And not just when I'm sitting and thinking deeply, not just talking about your, your sit-down view of the Lord. I'm talking about your get-up-and-go view of the Lord. When you're going throughout your daily situations, when you're at work, and when you're dealing with conflict, and, and when you're dealing with, with health problems, and when you're dealing with people, when you're dealing with fears, and when you're dealing with anxiety, that's when your view of God and His holiness really comes to life. That, that's when it practically comes out. That's when you see it. And that's where... I think our view of God, we really need to lean on the fact that God is in control, that He is this King on the throne, and that He is holy. How it would affect our lives. Secondly, we need to look at the sinfulness of Isaiah. The holiness of God, but also the sinfulness of Isaiah. Verse 4, And the foundations of the doors trembled at the voice of him, at him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah got up close and personal to the holy God, and what did it create in him? He saw a holy God, and what it created in him was not only a knowledge of his sinfulness, but a knowledge that he was unholy. When he saw God, really saw God, it gave him a right view of himself. In the previous chapter, he pronounces six woes on the people, as I said before, but the first woe that he pronounced was upon himself. Woe is me. I'm ruined. Why does he highlight his mouth? Because it symbolically represents what's down in the well. What's coming out of his mouth is representing the corruption and the unholiness of his mind and his heart and his life. He compared himself to God and he lost. He pronounces a woe. He saw this king that was utterly holy. And this king had authority over his life. And whether he liked it or not, this king was Lord. And he had rebelled. And he instinctively felt the deathly repercussions of his sin. Do we have that same level of awareness of our own sin? This is an encouragement for us too. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I've gone a couple hours not being aware I've got ketchup on my shirt. So, I definitely don't think I'm aware of my sin as much as I need to be. I think we all struggle with awareness. But again, it shouldn't keep us from trying to become more aware The psalmist prayed, Lord, search me. Search me. Find the evil that's within me. Let me see my sin so that I can repent of it and change. I read a prayer recently. I think it's correct when it said, God finds more sinfulness in the things we do right than we find in the things we do wrong. That's probably right. What sinful man or woman can stand in the presence of such a holy king. And that brings us to the third part. 
the forgiveness of the priest. The holiness of the king, the sinfulness of Isaiah, and the forgiveness of the priest. And for this, we've got to look at Uzziah's sin specifically. Uzziah's name means Yahweh is my strength. And God certainly proved himself true to that name. He was the strength of Uzziah for years and in great ways. But when Uzziah became wealthy and powerful and popular and when he felt secure, let the hearer hear, when he felt secure, he let his blessings from God, his position of kingship, maybe even his name, lead him down a deadly path and he became arrogant before God. And let it be a warning to each of us that no matter how many hashtag blessed posts we put, okay, and that's a good thing, but you and I both, we need some hashtag obey also. We have no right to justify our sin or to get arrogant with the grace of God because He's blessed us. That's what Uzziah does here. In 2 Chronicles Chapter 26, if you want to read along, you can. In verse 16, Uzziah sinned. But when he became strong, he grew arrogant, and it led to his own destruction. He acted unfaithfully against the Lord, his God, by going into the Lord's sanctuary to burn incense on the incense altar. So he went into the temple, the place that God was supposed to meet with man, the place of the priests. By the way, a, a priest... The, this was really helpful when I learned this, but the word priest means bridge in Latin. That's what it means. That's what priest means. It's a bridge. The person who is supposed to be a bridge, a bridge between God and man. And God had established the role of priests in order to educate the people of God on how sinful man could be in relationship with God and how God could make His presence with man. And a priest was to be that bridge and this role was absolutely important and it was absolutely sacred and so when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt years earlier he kept separate these roles of king and priest the priest would not be a king the king would not be a priest and the first king to violate these roles was Israel's first king King Saul Saul offered a burnt offering before the people, and because of this, God would take away his kingdom, take away his rule. Because of this, this was a serious thing. And then 300 years later, Uzziah tries a similar thing. Verse 17, Azariah the priest, along with 80 brave priests of the Lord, went in after him. They took their stand against King Uzziah and said, Uzziah, you have no right to offer incense to the Lord. Only the consecrated priests, the descendants of Aaron, have the right to offer incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have acted unfaithfully. You will not receive honor from the Lord God. Uzziah, with a fire pan in his hand to offer incense, was enraged. But when he became enraged with the priest, in the presence of the priest, in the Lord's temple, beside the altar of incense, a skin disease broke out on his forehead. Then Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests turned to him and saw that he was diseased on his forehead. They rushed him out of there. And he also hurried to get out because the Lord had afflicted him. So King Uzziah was diseased to the time of his death. He lived in quarantine with a serious skin disease and was excluded from access to the Lord's temple while his son Jotham was over the king's household governing the people of the land. 
I've spoken to you about this before, it's, it's been a while, but we are clearly to look at the vision of Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died with Uzziah's sin here. And the reason is we are to contrast Uzziah with the king in Isaiah's vision who is Jesus Christ. It is not God the Father on this throne. But this is a picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And the Apostle John says as much in John 12, 38-41. He says that Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus. Let's look at a, a few bits of evidence, a few important details here. First, we see a throne, but the throne is not in the palace. The throne is in the temple where a king should not be. This is a king with a robe. He is to be in the palace. And a priest is to be in the temple. You did see priests in the temple, but you didn't see them on a throne. But in Jesus, these two roles come together. The angel reveals that this person on the throne is a king he has authority over an army. He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. That's a military term, and so he has that authority. But not only does he have authority over the throne, he has authority over the temple and over the altar. He commands one of his soldiers, one of his angels, to go to the altar and to take a burning coal. And so he has command of the temple as well. And finally, we see that He is God because He has the authority to remove sins and to forgive. Verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And in His mercy, this exalted priestly king sitting on the throne in the temple removes the sin of a fearful Isaiah. Friends, it's because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the altar of the cross 2,000 years ago that He sits enthroned today the same way Isaiah sees Him not only as a king of the line of David but also as a priest who has earned the right to be the bridge between us and God, who can take away our sin and can connect us to God. And not only is He able to do those things, but He is willing to cleanse our iniquity and to forgive our sin. And as our musicians come this morning, that's the encouragement that I want to leave you with. God is holy, but He has a holy mercy and a holy grace, and a holy love. Do you feel like God can't forgive you? Isaiah st stared into the face of holiness. And by his own admission, he was a man worthy of the ruin of God's judgment. Woe is me! And yet God said, Isaiah, I'm going to clean you. 
For us today, God made us a promise that if we would trust in the Lord with our heart and would confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we would believe that God sent His Son to die for us, that we would be cleaned of our sin. What an amazing encouragement. God is not only holy and different from us, but that He's so loving that He would come and make His home with us. Amen? Let's stand together and pray. You want to talk about salvation this morning? Or anything that I spoke about, I'll be on the front row. I'd love for you to come and talk to me. If you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible says if you'll turn from your sin and trust in Him, that you too can be saved. And there's no reason to wait. Today is the day of salvation. God will take away your sin. He'll put a new heart in you and give you new life. Would you do that today? Maybe you're struggling with some sin this morning. Some situation in your life. You need two things. You need to know that God is holy. But you also need to know that God is merciful and that He'll forgive you as He forgave Isaiah. Father, we thank You for the vision You gave to this man that has now come to us through Your Holy Word. Help us to see You in Your holiness and in Your glory and to rejoice that no matter what mess is going on, no matter how difficult our situation is, what's going on in our country or what's going on in our family or what's going on at our workplace or what's going on in our lives, that You are the Holy King on the throne. Your plan will succeed. You will never fail. And if we know You, then we have true success in life and we have true victory. And we give You all the honor and glory for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.